Binge Mode is presented by Bud Light. Bud Light and HBO partnered for the Super Bowl to marry the medieval worlds. Bud Light and HBO recreated one of the most epic scenes in Game of Thrones show history. We did not see the ending of that Super Bowl spot coming. Being killed by the mountain is a pretty cool way to die. Wonder if we'll see Game of Thrones back in the Dilly Dilly universe again. Enjoy responsibly. 21 and up. Warning. Binge mode contains adult content. Oh, yeah, it does. (laughs) We're back! Talking about all the adult stuff. Because we're talking about Game of Thrones. We're getting ready for season eight, the final season of Game of Thrones. A show replete with breasts Mm. and dragons. Mm -hmm. It's true. In the words of our good friend Ian McShane, to paraphrase him. (laughs) So if that's not what you're into, what are you doing here? Also, check out one of the other great podcasts on the Ringer Podcast Network. (laughs) One more warning. Binge Mode contains spoilers. If you don't yet know why we're talking about sex god pods, prowess. Your coin is no good here, sir. <laughs> Please proceed with extreme caution. And now, binge mode. They're coming. Our enemy doesn't tire. Doesn't stop. Doesn't feel. And welcome to Binge Mode Game of Thrones. <laughs> Proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Yes. I'm Mallory Rubin, executive editor of TheRinger.com. Oh, a great website. Joining me today, now that he's finished magnifying the dragon eyes on the new season eight Iron mm-hmm. Throne art so that he can try to identify what clues might be reflected in their fiery depths. It's Ringer Senior Creative and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Mal, is it urgent? Always. Is it binge mode Game of Thrones? <laughs> when 2017 we dove deep, deep into all 67 episodes of Game of Thrones to date. It is whether or not you sailed the narrow sea of content with us back then. We're glad that you are here now and we hope that you subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Seven pointed star for reading, five stars for binge mode reviews. Also, Go ahead and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore. Join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans and which is an excellent place to share your feelings on the recently revealed season eight runtimes. Also, head over to the ringer.com slash shop to check out our binge mode merch. Super comfy, unlike that pointy and sharp metal chair. (laughs) Last time. On Binge Mode, we shared the audio from our Talk the Thrones live show at South by Southwest. And of course, before that, we concluded our Harry Potter journey. Please check that out if you haven't. Certainly enough hours of content there to keep you company on your journey to Winterfell. Today, we're continuing our march to the Game of Thrones season eight premiere. So join us every week from here until April 14th as we mount that dragon of content for as long as we can. Speaking of which... Be sure to head to the Binge Mode social feeds and the Ringer's YouTube channel. Check out our frame-by-frame Season 8 trailer breakdown and our new Explainer video series. Our History of the Long Night is up now. 
as is our first in our four-part Path to the Throne series, this one on the Targaryens. Please also check out our daily countdown of the top 25 moments in Game of Thrones history, 25 and 24, already up on Ringer and Binge social platforms, and we'll have one a day from now until premiere night. We hope that you're also enjoying our daily Binge Mode Game of Thrones re-listen and our daily Loose End series on TheRinger.com, where we're exploring some of the series' most scintillating unanswered questions. We cannot wait to explore Season 8 of the story with you all on Binge Mode and Talk of Thrones and Ask the Maester and everywhere, everywhere. And we're glad that you're here with us now. We're also glad that you sent us so many wonderful questions for today's mailbag, an embarrassment of riches as always. So unfurl your raven scroll, pour yourself some mulled wine, mm. because it's time for Ask the Underscore, Game of Thrones. First question from Dan Desmond. What are some of the reunions you are most looking forward to and why? This is, uh, I feel like we're going to agree on most of these. Probably. Yeah, yeah. So initially thought, you know, let's pick one. Then changed it to top five. And then when I realized I had put eight things under top five, changed it to top 10 and then realized even that wasn't enough. But for now, top 10. My order, number one. John and Ghost, of course. And us and Ghost, though, of course, with the caveat that it shouldn't need to be a reunion. That's the thing. Is it really a reunion? It is. They haven't seen each other in a season. Because we haven't seen Ghost. Right. But. Exactly. But that's like a meta. It's not an actual, like, canon reunion. Because, like. They have not been together. They've been, like, walking. And we have not been with Ghost. That's why I said us and Ghost, too. All right. Us and Ghost, I I agree with. Listen, you have your own ranking. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) This is number one on mine, damn it. Uh, Cannot wait for Ghost to be back in our lives, truly. Number two, John and Arya. You know, we haven't seen these two together since the very beginning of season one. Very close. One of the closest bonds in Winterfell. And it's just going to be wonderful to see them together again. I mean, think of how fun it's been to see John and Sansa reunite and Sansa and Arya and... Arya and Bran, and none of those pairs were ever as close as John and Arya. You know, John, of course, gave Arya a needle, helped forge a key part of her identity. Really can't wait for that. Number three for me, Arya and Gendry. And I'm going to be honest, I was tempted to put this number one. I can be your family. These men are brothers, family. I can be your family. You wouldn't be my family. You'd be my lady. That's, That's of course, their farewell. Hammer line. Gutting. Actual hammer. Gutting, gutting, gutting final moments of their time together back with the Brotherhood before Melisandre kidnapped Gendry for his cock juices. <laughs> and I think cock juices, I just want convey a different kind yeah, of I think cock juices seminal fluid. Not cock not, blood. Not quite. A, yes, there you go. Penile blood. Kingly penile fluids. I mean, to be clear, Melisandre can work some magic with any of it, you know? She it just, just wanted the blood yeah, in what this is particular it, what case. Is, like, she's done it with the semen. She's done it with the blood. She, you know. <laughs> what can she do? What can she do? <laughs> really an innovator. Uh, I ship Arya and Gendry really, really hard, mm. and I, I cannot wait for them to be together again. Number four for me. I like these hard there. <laughs> Um, I cheated because I put two things on one line here, but the Hound and Arya and the Hound and Sansa obviously cannot wait to see Sandor back with the Stark sisters. He has fascinating histories with both of them, very different histories with both of them, but I think that's going to be a wonderful evolution for his character in the final stages. And I, I... As fun as it will be to see him and Arya together, especially given her evolving feelings toward the Hound over the course of their arc, 
probably more interesting to see how he and Sansa interact together, mm-hmm. given how underrated that relationship is. Number five, Jamie and Bran. That's a wild one. I mean, you know, tough pass for those two. Jamie pushed Bran out of a window. I feel like Bran is kind of past human emotions. Like, he doesn't hold on to stuff anymore. I agree with you. I think that Bran will actually be like, hey, dude. Hey, cool. <laughs> come That's help fine. us out. Yeah, it's fine. But Jamie is going yeah, to really feel the need to apologize and explain and prove that he's there to help the good guys, to help the living in the battle against the dead. I, I can't wait to see that one. Number six for me, John and Bran and Sam. Again, this is a slight cheat putting three characters together, but... It's all you do is cheat at these. Listen, the the rules are malleable, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Here's why I'm justifying the cheat. We know that these three are probably going to have a conversation together about John's parentage because Sam has some crucial information about the annulment and those scrolls. Bran, of course, has his visions and what he's seen. So maybe these three will just have that chat together early on in season eight, episode one. Can't wait for this. Number seven. Melisandre and Arya. Now, these characters have shared almost no time together in the show's run, but the moment that they had together was crackling yeah, with, with Mel, intensity. With Mel being like, you will shut many eyes. Yes, I, I see, see them. a darkness in you. And in that darkness, eyes staring back at me, brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes, eyes you'll shut forever. We will meet again. I take shit like that as a promise. Well, Mel said she has to come back from Essos to die in Westeros. Yes, so it's, and of course, that means Mel and Varys is, right? is another one that so we could pick for similar reasons. Waiting waiting to see what that holds for us in season eight. It's going to be wonderful. Number eight, Sansa and Tyrion. You know, the time of their marriage was obviously a very difficult terrible time in both of their lives, particularly Sansa, who was a prisoner of the Lannisters at that point. And it's been interesting to see how, as each of them have moved into their respective journeys away from each other and away from King's Landing, their respect and affection for each other has grown in their absence. And so I'm excited to see how they interact once they're back together again on the same side. Though, notably, as we've discussed in our trailer breakdown, Tyrion, not super present in the Winterfell shots in that trailer. So he's on the boat with Danny and Jon, but who knows if he's going off somewhere else. Number nine for me, Jorah and all of House Mormont. I mean, who's left? It's just, it's Lyanna and cousins. Just the idea of him being back with his family and, you know, the fact that he was exiled. Obviously, in an ideal world, he would have gotten to reunite with his father, Gior, before Gior's death. We're not going to get to see that, but I'm really hyped about Lyanna throwing down and challenging Jorah to see if he really deserves to be back in House Mormont's good graces again. She was obviously just a baby when he was exiled. Number 10. I want to be clear about this. I don't actually want to see Theon at all in season eight. If he's not in it, it's fine. I'd be fine if I never saw Theon again. I would be very fine if he died on his way to trying to rescue Yara and never made it back to the other characters. But assuming he will at some point, it will obviously be fascinating to see Theon and Bran interact, given that the last time they did, Theon was betraying himself and the Starks by sacking Winterfell and taking Bran prisoner. What about you? Number one, John Arya. I think this is a clear cut number one. They shared that really beautiful moment, as you mentioned, when John gave Arya Needle, Castle Forge Steel, Micken's Mark, two real outsiders that had bonded over their outsiderness. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really understood each other in a fundamental way. And I can't wait to see them back together again, so changed by the things that have occurred. Arya in a lot of ways, like a steely-eyed, cold-hearted killer. And John, 
with the weight of the world on his very shoulders. He's faced death, come back from it, won or at least fought in some of the most monumental battles in recent Westerosi history, mm-hmm. come away alive from numerous fights with the White Walkers. And he really has the fate of the worlds on, on his shoulders. So it'll be incredible to see these two catch up and just take each other's measure and be like, look at how far we've come in this time. Um, and not in the way that George originally intended, way in those early versions of the story when yeah. he was going to have John and Arya fall in love with each other. It's very weird. <laughs> Glad that's not happening. Very weird stuff from George R. R. Martin. <laughs> uh, Jamie Brienne, number two. I'm shipping Wait him. a minute. What? Hold on. Let's take a pause here. What are we counting as a reunion? I mean, Jamie and Brienne saw each other in the season seven finale. Wait, are, yeah, but like... Okay, well, this is worth hashing out here. I take reunion as like, they have to have been away from each other for some measure of time, right? No? Just oh, back fine. together in a way that counts? I think... You're, you can interpret it however you want. Yeah, because I think they're going to have the bath moment. I just am shipping them really hard. Me too. And I want them to get together at some point before both of them we presume, die in this season. I want to be clear. I am as invested in Jamie and Brienne as in any pairing. The reason that they are not on my list is because they were together in the last episode That's of the show. And so I, I don't count it, but you're welcome to. I'm counting it. I'm <laughs> I'm bending the rules in the way I want. Great. Uh, Arya the Hound, yes. three. Yeah. She learned a lot from him. Mm-hmm. And he from her. Oh, yeah. And that was just one of the really most interesting relationships, one of the most interesting duos we've seen because it was like they both kind of pretended that they didn't care about the other person, but mm-hmm. they clearly did. Mm-hmm. And you're more excited for Arya and the Hound than the Hound and Sansa. Yeah, because the Hound and Sansa, you know, the Hound's sympathy for Sansa, especially because of the context of what Sansa was going through in that time when it was like yeah. the most dangerous time for her. Ned had just died. Joffrey was delighting and abusing her like in public in court, making her look at Ned's head. And so the tenderness that he showed to her, it was really notable. And it was really dangerous for him Mm -hmm. also. But it was pretty fleeting, to be fair. Whereas he and Arya, that was life-changing in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I think that's so fascinating how different his interactions with the two of them were. Because with Sansa, she really unlocked some previously unseen humanity and tenderness within him. Whereas Arya allowed us to see that the way that he actually is, his true nature, is okay in a certain context. You know, a man's got to have a code. I can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, Sansa Tyrion, that was two people in, in a terrible situation kind of just trying to make the best of it. And, you know, ironically, they kind of like found a new level of trust with each other in the very moments right before Joffrey died and everything kind of fell apart. You know, like when Joffrey was just abusing Tyrion in front of the entire wedding party, it was Sansa that was like kind of supporting him a little bit. Yeah, even just a little gesture like her leaning down to pick up the cup. That yeah, that was, that was something that she would not have done previously. So to find them together now that Sansa is legitimately one of the most powerful people in the entire realm, Mm -hmm. in the entire realm. Mm -hmm. And of course, Tyrion serving Daenerys himself, one of the most powerful people in the realm where they can gaze upon each other across that even playing field. It'd be really interesting to see what that relationship is like. That's such a great way of framing it because while Tyrion was always kind toward Sansa Mm -hmm. and protective toward her, it was because, and he would say this, he thought she was a child. He felt that she needed protection. And now 
She's a peer. More than a peer. I mean, Tyrion is an employee. <laughs> Sansa doesn't answer to anybody. Yes, in a sense, like John is above her, but doesn't want to be. <laughs> they're they're much more even than their titles imply. Mm-hmm. And Sansa doesn't answer to anybody. So that will be a very, very interesting reunion. I can't wait for it. Um, Arya Gendry, same. Yes. Like they, that was a time in Arya's life when she had nobody. Yeah. And Gendry at that point was kind of like used to having nobody. And you just wanted them to like be able to stay together and it just didn't happen. So yeah, shipping them hard. That would be great. Very powerful match also. Yes. Like, just yeah. politically. Sure. Starks and the bastard of King Robert Baratheon. Yeah, like, very powerful match. One of the reasons I'm really excited for them to be together again is because even though when they were together, Arya was tough and had to remain on edge so that she could literally stay alive and avoid capture, she was so sweet and playful with Gendry, ultimately. And, like, since that time, she has hardened so fully that I'm hoping that Gendry can unlock a little bit of that. The nature of her relationships has been fundamentally altered since she has been separated from Gendry. Right. And so seeing her back, it's just going to be, I hope, a source of tapping back into Arya Stark and continuing to move away from no one. Both Gendry and Arya, well, Gendry not so much, obviously. Strong virginal vibes for a lot of the show. (laughs) So be interesting to see them together. John and Bran. (laughs) Yummy. Never been with a woman. (laughs) Still one of my favorite lines in the show. Yeah. What's the line when Melisandre's coming up and he's like, I don't see what's so special about her or something. Because you're a girl. (laughs) With guy and Gendry. That's great. Um, So John and Bran. Yeah. There's that moment in season one when at the execution when John is like, don't Mm -hmm. look away. Father will know. Mm -hmm. And John's goodbye with Bran when the cat doesn't want him to be in that room, but John pushes through his fear because loving Bran is so important to him. Just, I think it'll be a, a real shock for John to see what has happened to Bran. What do you think John's going to make of Bran's three-eyed raven, I've been like hitting the pipe all day vibe? I, I honestly don't know. I think he's going to be really <laughs> taken aback, like shocked, like yeah. really saddened and unmoored by it maybe in a way because number one, we thought he was dead for a long time. Didn't know where he was. Well, he though, John does know he's alive because of Sam. Right. Revealing to John that he had crossed paths. But like, it's been a real roller coaster over the course of the series. Like, thought he was dead, disappeared, then knew he was alive. And now- near miss at Craster's And now to see him again like this, I think will be a real, a real, real shock. There's not, everybody's so changed. Mm -hmm. There's just like not a lot of people that John can be like, hey, remember what it was like when we were kids? Right. And have it be really pure. It's also just going to be such an uneven conversation in the sense that remember when Bran was trying to, well, not trying to explain. That's kind of the point when Sansa was like, I don't understand what you're telling me. I don't understand what you mean. And he was just like, it's hard to explain. So that's what he's going to offer up to John. It's hard for me to explain who I am, but here's literally everything you need to know about who you are. You are the heir to the Iron Throne. Your parents are Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen. Um, Gendry Melisandre, but what I really mean here is everybody who has a grudge against Melisandre and mm-hmm. Melisandre. So it's Gendry, John, Davos, Arya, Melisandre. Varys? Let's throw Varys. Throw him in. Throw Varys in there. Throw him in. Because Gendry, of course, because of the cock blood incident, <laughs> I think, you know, it was you take the good, you take the bad. Oh, man. Uh, you take them both. And not there bad, you, not bad. 
So it's like, you know, on the one hand, Gendry, he got that thing off. Yeah. Popped it. Yeah. But kind of the downside, he had a leech put on his cock. Here's my note for Gendry. It's your first time having sex. Before the leech gets on the cock, you say, why are you tying me up? That's not necessarily normal first time behavior. No judgment. I mean, just saying, how do you know? I just think you would have maybe asked a question. I I just think in this world, it's like your first time is like the variety and range, (laughs) you know, is so out there that maybe he's like, I don't know. You know, this seems like this could be what it is. This is a normal first time thing with a witch. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I would expect Gendry to be like, hey, what was up with that? John similarly is, you know, promised to have her hanged if she ever returned. So it'll be interesting to see what his response is. Davos, of course, hates her with a passion, probably Mm -hmm. hates her more than any other person Mm -hmm. currently alive in the show for what she did to Shireen, her role in that. Barris, not fond of blood magicians anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Melisandre, you know, what has she been up to? We don't. No. Right. And, and since we last saw her on Dragons. Though. Have no idea what she's doing. Have no idea why she would go east, what she's coming back with. And of course, prophesied that she would die in Westeros. So can't wait to see that. John and Sam, best friends. Buddies. Best buddies. John really took Sam under his wing, protected him in really important ways in their training at Castle Black. Sam is simply going to provide one of the most crucial structural roles left Mm -hmm. in this story. Mm -hmm. He and Bran are the people that will be able to bring knowledge of the past, knowledge of how humanity defeated the White Walkers the previous time to our heroes now. Our heroes have some Valerian steel, not a lot, but some. They have the dragonglass that they mined on Dragonstone. But they have no idea how the wall was built, how humanity actually defeated the White Walkers the first time. They don't know about that stuff. It's up to John and Sam to figure out that. Sansa and the Hound, because as stated, her complete vulnerability in the face of danger at every turn, you can't really overstate the peril that she was in every second. She didn't know who would kill her, at what moment she would be killed or abused who she could trust, had literally no one to trust. And something about that situation unlocked something in the Hound. And I, it will be really interesting for them to meet again with the Hound now on the side of angels and Sansa really a fearsome and powerful woman. Yeah. Like, what will that be like? I think we're also even more attached to their relationship as book readers because yeah. there's just more time spent with the two of them together in the book than we even got on the show. Little bird. Little bird. All men are killers, little bird. And then Jamie and Bran, for the reasons that that you stated, because I think Jamie is going to be like, hey, man, sorry (laughs) about that time that I was fucking my sister and then you saw and then I threw you out of the thing. That was... That was tough, and I feel bad about it. And I, like I said, I think Bran is so beyond human emotions and, like, grudges and Mm -hmm. anger and stuff like that that I'm not even sure that he's connected to that thing that happened. Yes, because... Part of moving beyond that anger and his own humanity and his identity as Bran Stark is moving beyond the regret about how his life changed and didn't become what he wanted it to be. You know, he wanted to be a soldier. He wanted to be a great knight. Now he is at the point in his journey where he believes that this is his destiny. So if this is his destiny, in his mind, 
every step along the path to becoming the Three-Eyed Raven played a role in who he is now. I think that's probably part of how he thinks about it. Yeah. Next question from Chris, with a lot of numbers after Chris in his handle. <laughs> HBO is moving forward with The Long Night, but that seems too similar to GOT. I'd like to see The Dance of Dragons or The Dunkin' Egg stories. What prequel story would you most like to see? Hmm. So I'm on record as saying The Dance of Dragons right off the top, the Civil War that basically, in the long run, crippled House Targaryen over the years. You know, they ruled for another 150 years or something like that. But, like, it really damaged them fundamentally. The dragons, the number of dragons dropped because of that war, and then they'd be extinct some decades later. It has everything you want, you know, like mad queens, deaths of children, uh, (laughs) betrayal, aunts, loving cousins. Like, it's just got a lot. And I think it's an important setup for what we see here. Plus, you know, now that they have that Game of Thrones money, let's see dragon-on-dragon combat. Uh I want to see it. Uh Um, To Aegon's Conquest, we know how it turns out, of course. And so I guess, like, generating the drama would be tough. But I think if you start back far enough, like maybe the Targaryens leaving Valeria years before they actually invaded. If you read the histories, they were not a notable dragon lord house, and they were kind of mocked for doing this, for leaving Valeria. So some of the drama around that, and then Aegon's eventual invasion, I think that would be really interesting. Plus, you'd get, we get to see Hair in the Black, we get to see all these kind of, like, really titanic figures that, you know, the last Durand and Storm King, Torrin Stark, we get to see all these really historical figures Field of Fire, like mm-hmm. all that cool yeah. shit. Um, and then third, you know... You're a Blackfire guy, aren't you? Yeah, the, some kind of Blackfire Rebellion thing would be really, really dope. I'm trying to... <laughs> let, me, let me think which one. I guess the first one. They're all interesting in their own way, but the first Blackfire Rebellion and the events leading up to it with the succession crises would be, would be really interesting because then you can unite both continents and really get a feel for how Essos has been this kind of haven for fugitive Westeroses for centuries. What about you? I love it. In terms of Chris's question about Dunkin' Egg, just for the record, mm-hmm. any vacuum, yes, I would like to see Dunkin' Egg. I think that would be super fun. However... We should note that George has basically said, like, no. Yeah. And I think that's wise because it's a little terrifying to think about opting into another adaptation of a series he is still writing. I would Let's also, just not do that again. I would also say that the focus is kind of just too small. Yeah. It is just Dunkin' Egg and their adventures throughout Westeros. And yes, you meet all these other people. But, like, it is a very tightly focused series. It feels like it could be a really fun animated series yeah. at some point, perhaps. But not yet. Right. George, keep going. So my picks, we disagree on this one, but that's fine. Every now and then it's healthy to disagree. I still would like to see Robert's Rebellion, even though we've gotten so much of that information in the story already. I still want to see every single beat of it, every moment from when Ned and Robert are fostering at the Eerie. I want to see Robert swing that hammer into Rhaegar's chest. I want to see the tourney at Harrenhal. I I want to see see the Night of the Laughing Tree. I just want to, like the way I felt, 
when we finally got to go to the Tower of Joy. It's like the single best feeling that this show has ever given me other than the actual cut (laughs) from Baby John to Adult John when we finally got that confirmation. And I think that every moment of Robert's Rebellion getting to lean in further and live in more of something we already know we're invested in, I want it. Going going to the tourney at Heron Hall, like that would— It would be fucking incredible. I, I Incredible. I really need that. It's the same life. way I feel about, you know, the Marauders. Like, we know so much about it, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to spend more time yeah. with James and Sirius and Lupin. Fuck Pettigrew, obviously. Wow. Uh, my next pick after Robert's Rebellion would be Valeria. I just think it would be so fascinating to spend time with the Dragon Lords when Valeria was at the peak of its power, the yeah. greatest civilization cool. ever known. And right up to, you know, the doom and everything that leads up to that. So many fun theories out there about the nature of the Doom and what caused it and obviously other factions that broke off from Valeria, including like the Faceless Men. It would just be really, 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 really cool to get to dive so fully into this like nucleus of so much of the history that's spread out to give us this current story. And then my next pick would be Aegon's Conquest for all the reasons you said. I mean, give me Field of Fire before I I die, please. Yeah, Just wonderful. I really would love any any of these, honestly, like if we got 10, 20 spinoffs, I would never think it felt like too much. I mean, part of what's so masterful about the world that George built is just how vast and full it is. Keep giving it to us. Next. Yeah. Lucas Almeida. Which Hogwarts house would Snow, Danny, Sansa, Arya, Tyrion, Jamie, and Cersei fall into respectively? All right, let's talk about each character one at a time yeah, together. Go. John. I, we, I, we have a few disagreements. John, I think Gryffindor clearly. Obviously. Yeah, this clear, was easy. Clear, clear. <laughs> this was easy. I guess John has a touch of Hufflepuff in him, I think. Yeah, he has a touch of Hufflepuff. Because he's very driven by his love for people and his loyalty. His loyalty is big. But certainly John is Gryffindor. Okay, we agree. Danny. Slytherin, for sure. 100%. Clear, clear, clear Slytherin. <laughs> through and through Slytherin. Yeah, yeah. And more power to her, you yeah, know? Yeah. Sansa? I'm going to change here. I think she's evolved. I kind of think she's a Slytherin. I respect that pick. I yeah. struggled with this one. Yeah. I ultimately went with Ravenclaw because of the shrewdness that yeah. she has come to display. Being able to secure the Knights of the Vale outmaneuvering Littlefinger, who we think of as being this master strategist and tactician in terms of not war necessarily, but human interactions. She fucking beat him, you know? So the intellect that has developed and the savvy there, Eileen Ravenclaw, but you're right. It's a a hybrid. There's definitely some some Slytherin there. Like not telling telling John about the Knights of the Vale is a Slytherin move. And then watching uh, Ramsay Bolden get eat by dogs is a Slytherin move. (laughs) But I agree. There is a hybrid thing going on there. Arya. This was tough. I agree. It's kind of like a Gryffindor-Slytherin hybrid. Mm-hmm. I went with Gryffindor, but this was tough. Yeah, I think it is Gryffindor, but I think that she has some Slytherin tendencies. I mean, anytime you're willing to like put on a mask, impersonate another person, <laughs> stab them to death, and then <laughs> feed them their own kin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and- you're... Here's the thing. You could say that anyone who has managed to survive at this point in Westeros has a touch of Slytherin in them. Like, you almost have to. That's fair. There's some nature of self-preservation that just has to be present there. But I think the reason I ultimately went with Gryffindor is Arya has been alone Mm. for so, so, so long. And 
the courage that you have to be able to consistently muster when you're out there on your own, trying to stay alive, trying to get back to your family, trying to seek vengeance on behalf of your family, whatever the motivation might be in a given moment, you need that bravery to keep you going. But yeah, she kills a lot of people. It's true. Yeah. But not even just kills them, though. Feeds them their sons in a pie and then kills them? Yeah, that's that's on some other (laughs) shit. Um, Tyrion. 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 Ravenclaw. For sure. This was easy. Yes, no question. This was I mean, easy. only to, it's like when we first meet him, he's just talking about books. I legitimately think that Tyrion and Luna Lovegood would be like best friends. Yeah. It's like Tyrion, season one is like getting his cock sucked and reading. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, drinking wine. Yeah. To be fair. Great stuff. Jamie. Uh, Hufflepuff. Now, I go Hufflepuff with Slytherin undertones. Okay. Again, I think some Slytherin other undertones is, is a fair— You could make the case in, for any character. I want to give this one to the Hufflepuffs. But he's very loyal. The fact that he has not made love to any woman except for Cersei mm-hmm. in his life. Right. That's the thing. This is ultimately my <laughs> rationale. It's life. Everything that Jamie does, whether it's an act of heroism right. or— a reprehensible act he does because he's remaining loyal to or fighting for somebody he loves. Even right down to slaying the king, right? He did that because the king ordered him to bring him his father's head and was going to burn the whole city alive. That was an act of protection. Yeah. Good old Jamie. Shouts to the puffs. And the last character in the question was Cersei. This was pure Slytherin. I mean, there's never been an easier call. There's never, ever, ever been an easier call. (laughs) Pure Slytherin. Literally has never played by the rules ever. No. Also, it's not just that she doesn't possess certain of the other traits that the other houses prize. It's that she actively lacks them. Yeah, yeah. Like so many of her mistakes in her life are because of her own warped logic, failed rationales. She's not wit beyond measure. I mean, think of how different Cersei's life would be if she possessed that wit. And that doesn't mean she's an idiot. She's quite bright as she went out of her way to tell Tywin. But She's trying so hard to outmaneuver people that she always ends up capturing herself. Well, I think the thing with her is her overarching characteristic is her ambition and her lust for power. Loving her children and her lust for power. And and everything else, and as her children have died and faded away, there's nothing else but this kind of like unrestrained desire to be the most powerful person in the realm. Mm -hmm. And everything else flows from that. Her intelligence has evolved to serve that goal. Her and Tywin are both obviously extremely manipulative people who think of themselves as chess masters. Tywin was more strategic, whereas Cersei had this obviously very, very dangerous, but a more of like a kind of low cunning. What makes Cersei effective is she's willing to go to like from zero to 10, just much faster than anybody else is. Mm -hmm. Tywin is like, okay, let's figure out how to outmaneuver somebody and and maybe take them off the board in a way that doesn't seem like I did it. Right. Whereas Cersei is like, I want everyone to know I did it. I'm going to (laughs) immediately have you executed. Yeah. And that's the great contradiction of Cersei's characters. What has that cunning won her? You know, yes, she's literally on the Iron Throne, but what does her kingdom look like exactly? Where is her family? She's lost everyone she cares about. She's lost so much of herself and her heart. So that Ravenclaw intellect is totally wiped off the board, even though she possesses it because it's put to use so poorly. Yeah, it's wild. All right, next. Lindsay Bell Peacock says, I joined a death pool at work and I pretty much just said 
everyone is going to die except for Ghost. Shouts to you, Lindsay. Protect Ghost. Thinking that's the best strategy. Thoughts on anyone else who is guaranteed to live so I can take all of my coworkers' money. Guaranteed. Guaranteed to live. Guaranteed feels really, really tough. And it's like you're boxing yourself in. But I agree with your picks are essentially the same as mine. Sam, they've set him up as the person who's going to write this history, the Song of Ice and Fire. So has to live. Sam is the only one I consider an actual guarantee. Like, I'm not comfortable I, applying the word guarantee to anybody else. I, I and even with Sam, it's like— I can say guarantee because, like, his son is named Sam. What does that have to do with anything? I just think, like, what if the other Sam is, like, the guy who writes it? When he stops fucking, like, guzzling breast milk? Yes. He's four. I know, but I'm saying, like, what if he <laughs> writes it? I don't know. I think that that is clearly Samwell Tarly's ultimate role in Destiny. I, it possibly could be. I say the version of a guarantee that we can comfortably give in this story, in this universe, is like 70% confidence. That's equivalent yeah. to a guarantee. And then the, the of the major characters, none of them we can say with a guarantee, but I think we agree that Tyrion is the one we're most confident in. Yeah. Do you just think about the things that he's escaped over the course of the series? And I feel like... I think he's got that in him again, you know, whether it's being captured by a cat, getting out of the eerie, talking his way out of the fucking sky cells with Mord, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, like co-opting the no hill. No gold! No gold! Co-opting the hill tribes <laughs> many years from now <laughs> with a belly full of wine and a mouth around my cock. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good goal, yeah. um, Escaping to Essos, being enslaved, all the things he survived, he's just a survivor, and I could see him doing it again. But it's really, 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 really tough. I think everybody is on the board for death yeah. in this season. Everybody. Everybody. I was just thinking, in terms of Tyrion and his ultimate role in the story, about that really wonderful Maester Aemon quote in the first book, A Game of Thrones, when Tyrion is up at Castle Black. And Eamon says, oh, I think that Lord Tyrion is quite a large man. I think he is a giant come among us here at the end of the world. Like, that's just, <laughs> Tyrion is going to be there at the end. I hope. I hope. Next, Daffy Newport. If only I only have time to watch five episodes to whet my appetite and remind me what has happened before the season eight premiere, which five would you recommend? So with the obvious caveat that the birth of this podcast was us doing a podcast for every single episode of Game of Thrones. And we have 67 episodes of Binge Mode Game of Thrones on the previous 67 episodes of Game of Thrones and obviously would encourage everyone to do a full rewatch and listen to Binge Mode Game of Thrones. With that caveat that we're completionist by nature and thus not personally capable of consuming the product in this way, we understand that some other people might be. So here are my five. Number one, The Winds of Winter, the season six finale, because that has some of the most crucial, not only moments in the show's history, but information downloads. Obviously, the John Parentage reveal at the Tower of Joy is colossal. Also, Cersei blowing up the Sept, not only just one of the most masterfully executed sequences in show history, but the seminal installation in terms of understanding her character, how far she will go, and what the consequences of those decisions are. And then, of course, Danny finally heading west, thinking about Danny's journey, how far she's come and how far she still has to go, and the strength by her side, the dragons above her in the air. My second pick, The Reigns of Castamere, Season 3, Episode 9, 
if you're doing five episodes for yeah. any purpose, you can't not watch The Red Wedding. Yeah. You just can't. And obviously, in terms of season eight and how much of it seems bound to take place in the North and center on the Starks, this is, in many ways, the pinnacle of Stark despair. And also just one of the best episodes in terms of capturing how fragile human alliances can be and where human folly can lead us all. My third pick, Hard Home, season five, episode eight. Not only an astonishing television and cinematic achievement, but probably heading into season eight, the best snapshot of the Night King's power, the moment where we really understood what the Night King was capable of, and also the stare down between the Night King and John. You know, we've gotten other versions of that since Beyond the Wall, but the Night King and the John questions there. Why hasn't the Night King killed John? What does the Night King want? What is the truth of that relationship in particular and what might it mean for humanity? Hard Home is a wonderful encapsulation of that and also of John's heroism and crucially the costs of that heroism because he will be executed by his own men shortly after this. Mm. Number four, The Door, season six, episode five. To be clear, these are not necessarily just the best episodes. I think The Door, while a wonderful episode, is worth maybe elevating over Blackwater or Baylor, some of the episodes that any one of us might personally think is better, though I do have the door quite high on my personal power rankings. It is an essential episode for understanding Brand's powers and maybe more aptly phrased, realizing what we don't understand about Brand's powers, mm-hmm. given the role that Bran as the Three-Eyed Raven stands poised to play in season eight, which I think we all agree is going to be crucial. And the only question is, how crucial and how does that manifest and God forbid, is he the Night King? When we see what Bran does warging across time, transforming Hoder, you got to refresh yourself on that before season eight. And then number five, the Dragon and the Wolf season seven finale. To be very clear, not one of my top five episodes of Game of Thrones, but this is just a practical pick. If you're heading into season eight, watch the last episode before it. And look, a lot of crucial shit does happen in it. We get the final installation of the John Parentage reveal with the annulment information and Bran showing us Rhaegar and Lyanna's wedding, realizing, finally confirmed that John is the trueborn heir to the Iron Throne. We see the Night King and Viserion bring down Chekhov's wall at long last. Cersei and Jamie split. I think for us and for a lot of people out there, the Cersei-Jamie relationship is one of the most important things mm-hmm. in the show. And refreshing yourself on that moment and how truly perilous and fraught that final interaction was is essential heading into season eight. Similarly, seeing what Sansa and Arya overcame and how they unified. The pack survives. Getting that speech from them, seeing them act together. Imperative heading into season eight. And just also just more fundamentally like a refresher on where everyone is and where they're going before the new season. What about you? I'm going to go in chronological order. I'm going to go with number one, Baylor, the ninth episode of season one. You just see a lot of the characters at their lowest point. And also at these inflection points, that means so much to what happens later. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Arya witnessing Ned Stark's beheading. Yeah. Killing um, a pigeon and then not eating it. That's Never f- forget. Oh, my God. That pigeon gave its life for what? There's a million of them. Uh, <laughs> John receiving Longclaw for the first time. Danny and Miri Mazdur and like mm. the, the way that would set up her arc going forward. A really important episode for understanding where these characters come from. Then, of course, Reigns. Reigns, in a lot of ways, was the episode where, if you read the books, this was the one you were waiting for. And oh, yeah. Just an unforgettable hour of television. Brutality and ruthlessness presented in a way that is unforgettable. Mm-hmm. 
I'm still scarred by it in a lot of ways. You oh know, it's God, just yeah. so eerie and you want it. It's one of those episodes of TV where rewatching it, you want it to not happen. Every time. You're like, could it be different this time? Yeah. Could it not yeah. happen? Like, could could Rob listen to his fucking direwolf for once? Keep Grey Wind by your side. Come on. <laughs> just so fucking brutal and unforgettable creates a psychic wound that powers you through the rest of the story. You, you can't overstate how much vengeance for the red wedding is a thing that powers you through this story, both the characters and the audience. So just an incredible, incredible episode of television that obviously is something that the North will never forget. It is a wound that the North will never, ever forget. And the never North remembers, from. and so should you on your five-episode yes. rewatch. Um, hard Home, yeah, because it shows you what a out-of-the-box thinker John is, what he's willing to do, mm-hmm. and kind of like the rules he's willing to break to win this war. Mm-hmm. Rules that he, you know, he's he's taken stock of this. Uh, wildlings are our enemies. No, they're human beings, and we need we need them because every one of them that dies makes the Night King stronger. Therefore, we need to ally against this threat. Yeah. And his willingness to step outside of conventional thinking and do that really showed you what a hero he is. And also, John discovers then that the importance of Valerian Steel in yes. the battle to come. Yes. Um, yeah, getting Dragonglass and Valerian Steel so that, in that sequence. Absolutely huge. One other thing that I just found myself thinking of listening to you talk about John there. We think so often about Hardhome from and the ensuing events from the perspective of John and the Night's Watch mm-hmm. and his brothers. But one of the underrated moments in that episode, and it's totally understandable, we all focus on the battle and the bazillion whites tumbling over the cliffs, but John's interaction with the wildlings, yeah. the way that he preaches to them and works to convince them, even as he sees that he's failing, yeah. you know, with the Then, for example— Maybe nothing is as crucial heading into season eight as John's willingness to work with anyone to preserve life above all it's else. A, it's a great point. And, you know, that battle. It's, it's, it's chills it's, thinking about it's it. It's really easy to forget that in Watchers on the Wall, mm-hmm. Battle of Castle Black, John and Tormund were blood enemies. Oh, my God. Yeah. And now Tormund <laughs> is, I mean, you could argue one of his staunchest allies. In consideration to be like a groomsman if John got married. Oh, 100%. He I mean, will be in the wedding. Sam is best man, but yeah. like Tormund is Tormund a groomsman. Will, Tormund will be in the wedding. <laughs> so just an incredible, you know, like John has proved himself to the people that were formerly his enemies. Mm-hmm. And that is no small thing. One more point about Hardhome that I, I think we would both also say applies not only to, to Hardhome, but to Winds of Winter. Those are the best episodes to watch if you need to remind yourself that even though we're well beyond the books, the showrunners can do this. They can land it. They can craft the story on their own that is beyond what we have as book canon, and it can be perfect. Yeah. The door, for all the reasons that you said, uh, we get really our first glimpse into what Bran can do. Not only that, but we see, you know, Ned Stark and his siblings. We see Lord Ricard. We see Lyanna, and we see them as kids, and we see them interacting. And we get an idea of how important that family bond was and how, even though we don't have the full clarity of what their relationships were like, how those things really affect what's happening now. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, John and Arya and Sansa are dealing with the impact of things that their ancestors went through. Yes. And having Bran go back and see that is amazing and setting up the idea that 
brand can affect the past, even though the Three-Eyed Raven said that's impossible. Can't happen. The ink is dry. Bran can do it. He's the most powerful green seer that there's ever been, probably. What that means for the future, we don't know, but it will be impactful. And setting that up is absolutely crucial. Also, smaller in scale in terms of importance, but the mystery of the children of the forest. You know, after the Three-Eyed Raven's weirwood tree goes boom, we both believe that there are more children out there and that maybe John and Danny even will go to find them, that perhaps that's why they're beyond the wall on the trailer. But that's a good episode to remind yourself of all of the magic that is at play in the North beyond the wall and the questions we now have about how much of it is left, where it is, and how our heroes can access it. And then uh, wins a winner for all the reasons you said. This is why John— episode. This is why John is important. These are the fruits of Ned's secret keeping. Mm -hmm. We finally understand John's role in this tapestry of a story. And we see the lengths that Cersei Lannister is willing to go to to preserve her influence and her power and to take her enemies off the board. She's willing to do anything. Setting up a clash that is sure to be titanic. So, incredible stuff. Man. Yeah, those those are my thoughts. Wonderful. I could watch all of those right now. I could always watch all of those. Next, Keith Fleming asks, if you could go back and save any character who has perished on the show, who would it be and why and what role would they play in the end game of the show? Wow. Can I ask you a question about how you interpret the question? Yeah. In your mind, does this mean the character never died and was there the whole time or that we're bringing them back? We're bringing them back right now. Okay. Melisandre style. Not Kaiban style? Kaiban? No, yeah, not. <laughs> definitely not. May I, may I keep this? The work continues. I'm in the middle of my rewatch now, and I've recently watched where he's like, can I just keep the severed yeah. head? And may it is really upsetting. I don't do this. It's funny to meet him, like useful. when you meet him in season three, because he's so normal. He seems kind of cool. Like he's helping Jamie tie his saddlebags. Just snip in the flesh. Yeah, he's like, you'll get better at tying his saddlebags. He's like, I'll just pour wine on it. Um, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a two for one. Okay. I go Rob and Grey Wind. Wow. Yeah. Okay. First, Rob. Number one, Rob. Listen, never lost a battle. <laughs> Undefeated. <laughs> Am I right? The young wolf. Unfucking defeated and big reason why, and we forget about this, especially in the show where they kind of touch on it a little bit in that scene where Grey Wind goes out and mm, kills the Lannister yeah. soldiers. Grey Wind won a lot of these battles. I'm not going to say single pawedly, but like <laughs> historic warrior, but absolutely influential in these battles. He found trails through the mountains that no one else could find. Mm -hmm. He caused panic amongst Mm -hmm. the enemy cavalry because of his ferociousness and the smell of him Mm -hmm. just absolutely set the horses to flight. Was so, so important. Fearsome warrior was a huge reason why Rob never lost in the field. And, you know, the symbolism of Rob Stark and his fearsome direwolf, it was just important. And I think, you know, in the battle to come, to have those two back in the fold, it would be incredible. It would be incredible. If you were able to do this, you yeah. were able to bring the young wolf and Grey Wind back. Oh! Forever young. Forever young. <laughs> Who would be commanding? 
Is Rob commanding or is John then? Yes, how John, do they work together? Here's how. John is, I know Rob might feel a type of way about it, <laughs> but listen, you were dead my guy and now you're back. But isn't that the argument against it that John would just be like, here you go. No, here's, I, I just feel like he's got to figure, I'm sorry, but Rob, you've just got to deal with it now. And here's the other thing. Here's the thing, though. Distract him with a no, no. hot woman sawing off a foot if yeah. you need to get him out of the way. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, <laughs> if you don't cover yourself up, I'll, I'll attack I? you again. How am I attack, supposed to attack. get any work done? That One of the most, like... <laughs> sex position scenes ever because like the camera over to Lisa's ass when she goes attack <laughs> attack, attack. <laughs> <laughs> oh anyway oh my god um, no because it actually works out because John can just be like listen I'm the king king now mm-hmm. right it's actually like I'm less concerned about Rob and John and more concerned about John and Danny like that's the dynamic I'm more worried about John will be like Rob, you want to rule in Winterfell? You got it. Serious. Work question. it out with Sansa, honestly. Serious question for you. Yeah. How long before Rob and Danny fuck if they're in the same place? Wow. I mean, <laughs> how long? I don't know. Danny's all about that John stuff right now. <laughs> I think it's fine. Okay. I honestly am more concerned about Rob and Sansa and how Sansa would feel about now. She's like even lower on the peck, in theory, lower in the pecking order when she's been doing all this shit this whole time. Right. So I'm not worried about it. Also, like, you know, he probably dies in the battle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you bring Rob back. You I count Rob, on him Rob not wanting Grey to Wind. be, of course. No, he would want King to, in the North. He would, he, fine, be King in the North. John is King in the whole land. Not yet. But basically. I mean, he's. He's on the track. He should be. He's on track to be that. He's in a position where he has to go back and convince his bannermen that he can still be king in the north after bending the knee to Danny when he none of them that. wanted him to go he south be, in the first place. He bent that knee. Oh boy, did he. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I respect the pick. I respect that. <laughs> I mean, listen, we might be seeing some Starks who yeah. are long dead. That's the truth. Yeah. We, might be, we might be getting some Ned's bones yeah. coming out of the crypts in season eight. My picks, this will surprise literally no one. <laughs> All the dead direwolves. Give me Summer. Give me Grey Wind. Give me Lady. And give me Shaggy. And I have specific reasons for each of them, but obviously the totality of it is most yes. important, which is this theme, again, of the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. And the Starks and John coming together, and in this version, where I have the power to to bring back the dead, also their wolves coming together as a pack to thwart evil and usher in the dawn. Specifically for each of them, as you just explored, and just beautifully, Grey Wind would just be an asset in this battle. I mean, they all would be, but Grey Wind really would be. Shaggy, I think of Littlefinger's chaos as a ladder line. Put Shaggy out there to stir some shit up. Who knows what he could do? Lady, it's always been one of the show's greatest tragedies that Sansa never really had time with her wolf. You know, having that companionship and that steady, present love by her side, I think would keep her anchored as some of the temptations and challenges in season eight are put in front of her. And then, of course, Summer, you know. Tough way to go. I'm not over that. I will never be over that. I was not ready for that. We did not have enough time with Summer. Summer and Bran, the Warg bond was explored by far the most of any mm-hmm. of the Stark children. We don't get really much of any of it for the other characters, even though it's heavily present in the books. 
I guess you could make an argument that Rand can't have Summer there because he needs to be the three-eyed raven seeing in all these other ways and that he can't have this one specific bond. But I refuse to accept that. I think that Summer would be not only an asset on the battlefield, but crucial totem of sorts for Mm. Bran, helping to keep him in touch with his humanity and his history and who he was and who he's always been. And also, obviously, the heart of Bran's skin-changing warg magic, how he came to all of this in the first place. Would love to see more of that. Bring back all the wolves and, of course, never let anything happen to Nymeria or Ghost. Next, Matt Ryan asks, if George doesn't finish the series, what one piece of information or single arc's conclusion would you want him to reveal? So, I mean, there are too many to possibly go through here. We could also, like, we haven't gotten George's version of some of the things we have gotten yeah, in the show. So I, I would start there, honestly. Yeah. I would say, like, no matter what, I want George's version of the John Parentage reveal. I would still want that from him in some form, no matter what. A couple of the other ones at the top of my list. As many of the answers to the prophecies as possible, but specifically, who is the prince that was promised? Azor High, the last hero come again, the stallion amounts the world. The definitive answer to all of those, such that there is a definitive answer. Mm-hmm. Confirmation of the Lyanna Stark, Knight of the Laughing Tree story. Want that confirmed definitively. I think we're pretty certain, but want to know for sure. From George, clarity on what the others want. You know, I don't know really if we'll actually get a satisfying answer to that in the show, like what the White Walkers are after. So that will feel imperative. Mm-hmm. And a small one, but I want to know who Cold Hands is if George is insisting on saying it's not Benjen. I know, that's fucking wild to think about. I'm going to go same Night of the Laughing Tree tournament in Heron Hall, the whole, I want to know Everything that happened that led up to Rhaegar yeah. and Lyanna going away. Yes. I want to know all of that stuff. Yes. I want to know if Rhaegar was planning to move against his father, like the mm-hmm. whole thing, how they met, what the circumstances of them falling in love with. Is Lyanna the Knight of the Laughing Tree, as many suspect? Yeah, I want to know about that. And that kind of like dovetails with the John Parentage reveal, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same thing to me. And then I kind of just like, what is the three eyed raven's role in this world? Mm-hmm. He exists to do what? You know what I mean? Like, obviously, it's an important job, whatever that job is. I feel like we kind of know what it is in the show, but we don't know in the books. We don't know why Bran specifically was chosen for this. Obviously, he's quite powerful, but it seems like it's very important that he be the one. Mm -hmm. And I want to understand, one, what that job, why that job is important. What kind of balance does it bring to this world? Like, what does it do? What do you do as a three-eyed raven? And why brand? Mm-hmm. So those two things. Love that. I agree with that one. It's a great one. And obviously, is Tyrion a Targaryen? <laughs> we actually have a question coming yeah. up about that. Next, Kevin Francis asks, what are your personal rankings of seasons and books? You want to do books first and uh, then seasons? Yeah, I'll do books first. Books first. Um, for me, it is Storm of Swords, Game of Thrones, Clash of Kings, Dance of Dragons, Feast for Crows. I go a Storm of Swords, a Dance with Dragons, a Game of Thrones, a Clash of Kings, and a Feast for Crows. But I love them all. I do love them all. I think there are good parts in all of them. And then seasons, I think we 100% agree. Six. Yeah. Three. Yep. Four. That's that. That's tier one. That has to be everybody's. In some order. Yes. Yeah. I think a lot of people put season three first and a lot of people put four first. But six, three, and four in some order are tier one. It has to be. Tier two. And next in our order, season one. It's a great season of television. It holds up fucking phenomenally it holds, well. It really holds up. It's great. <gasps> then tier three, yeah. I think on its own, is season two. Which is fine. Which is fine. 
And then I think the last tier is season seven up and, and down. five. Yeah, uh, both up and down. Though I want to issue a little asterisk here, which is I reserve the right to change this order after I complete this most recent rewatch mm-hmm. because this is the first full rewatch having seen season seven. And I wonder if going through it all again will change how we feel about season seven at all. We both rewatched season seven, obviously many times on its own, but going through the entire thing in order, it can change the way you feel about a thing as we've all discovered. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's a chance that season seven elevates. And even, look, even that final tier, it's still great. Guys, Game of Thrones is great. We love Game of Thrones. Next, Boomer asks, what's your favorite insane fan theory? I read a 2000 word Reddit post today about how Steve Rogers' hairline proves he time traveled throughout the MCU movies. <laughs> What's your favorite Game of Thrones version of this that you recall? So one of the things that makes this challenging to answer is that we've all been talking about Game of Thrones theories for so long. It's a little hard to even know where the line is between what is like, what is quote unquote insane and what is like kind of widely accepted at this point. It's really hard to say and your mileage may vary on whether you consider something that we offer up here like really far out there or like, yeah, well, of course, most people who care about the story and think about theories a lot think that. But all that said, every Crips of Winterfell theory is number one on this list. I agree with these. So that's... It's going to be germane to what happens in season eight. Clearly. The whole season eight marketing campaign is basically built around either the throne or the Crips of Winterfell so far. So we have the dragon, Rhaegar's harp, and the great other. Those are kind of the primary pillars of the Crips of Winterfell I hate the name the great other, but I like the theory. I think the Great Other is such a terrible name, but I agree with the, it's fine. Take it up with the Lord of Light. I will. (laughs) So is the Great Other entombed? Is something about when and how Bran the Builder raised not only the wall, but Winterfell and this idea of the magic of Winterfell and the magic of the crypts tied up in the idea of actually imprisoning. Right. Is Is this literally where Winter fell? Right. Is Winterfell keeping this dark, cold force at bay somehow. Yes. So we ride hard for this. Yeah. Dragon. There's just a lot of clues that there's dragons under Winterfell. Uh, many, many legends mention this. Some maesters have said that's the source of the hot springs that mm-hmm. bubble up through Winterfell. There's also rumors that dragon eggs were left there by Queen Alysanne. There's something down there. I don't know what it is. I don't think it's a dragon, but that's one of the theories, certainly. And... I would love to know more. I know. This feels like one to me, you talk about this a lot, but the idea of something that maybe they don't have time anymore to yeah, set it I up properly in the show, the but that doesn't mean it, it won't be true in the books. And then Rhaegar's Harp, some physical, tangible proof yeah, of that, their relationship. Their relationship more than just love. More than just Sam's piece of paper and <laughs> Bran saying it. Yes, absolutely. Um, the three lines in the O of mm-hmm. the GOT logo, the Game of Thrones logo. They're playing that up a lot this season. Yeah. And those have always looked like harp strings. Right. I, I mean, always. They, I mean, they're clearly strings of an instrument. I'm going to add one more, which is the Ragnarok theory, which was like a very, very involved, thousands of word theory that <laughs> went around the internet maybe f- like three or four years ago that I don't actually subscribe to mm-hmm. at all. But you're fascinated by but it. But I'm fascinated by it because... Listen, there's a lot of theories. George hasn't fucking written a book in in eight years. So all we can do is theorize. But sometimes it just, you know, sometimes somebody puts so much work into a theory, much more work than the actual author of the book, it seems, that it's like I almost want it to be true. I don't subscribe to it at all, but I am kind of in awe in the amount of work that's gone into it. So that's it. I like that. A couple other ones for me. 
Sirio is not only alive, but is Jockin. Personally, I subscribe fully to the first part, Sirio is alive, but in terms of really weird involved internet theories, the is Jockin wrinkle is a really fun twist mm-hmm. that I kind of like, you know, in the show, the timeline of that works quite well, obviously, both of them, of Bravos, yeah, playing a key role in Arya's life, etc. I dig that. And related to Jockin, Zach Cram wrote a, a great piece for the Ringer Loose End series on the Faceless Men, and one of the things he talked about in that piece was the theory that the Faceless Men caused, or at least contributed to, the doom of Valeria. And not only that, but that they're seeking to cause another doom so that they can rid the world of dragons and the magic that once enslaved them. I I am fascinated by that and really like that. And then finally, all the theories basically about the direwolves and how the Stark family discovered them in the first place are really interesting. As usual, I do not personally enjoy the versions of that that involve Bran going through time to manipulate events because if Bran is just doing anything, then none of the characters' choices matter. But... Did somebody send the dire wolves there? Did like someone that. send the mama wolf south of the wall so that the Starks would find them? Someone associated with the old gods? Could it be the children of the forest? Could it have been Blood Raven? Were they literally meant to find them? Not just like existentially, philosophically meant to find them. And of course, one of the, one of the little elements there about how John hears ghosts, even yeah. though ghosts we know is, is silent, has always been fascinating. Is that their warg bond manifesting right away? Is it Bran? Who sends the wind? Next. Next. Alex St. Flynn asks, you were given free choice of any castle in Westeros. Where do you live? This is a great... Oh, my goodness. Ah, man. You go first. A funny thing about Game of Thrones is that when you think about a question like this, you realize that the characters and the places that you're rooting for are not places you'd want to be. (laughs) I don't want to live at Winterfell. I don't want to live at the Wall. I mean, Fuck no. Cool. Let, me, let me tell you, 100%, I am not living in Winterfell. <laughs> One billion thousand percent, fuck the North. Like, yeah. I love everybody there. You right. guys are great. Hard pass on Winter's coming, all that shit. You guys are hardy warriors, and I really appreciate all you do for the realm. Leave me out of it. To be clear, it is 65 <laughs> degrees today in Los Angeles, yeah. and every single person in our office is complaining about how cold it is. We would be dead in a minute. In dead the north. in a minute. Not Everybody who goes to the north is like, wow, there's snow on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> like, leave me the fuck out of it. And so, because of that, I think we have the same top pick. Yeah. Sunspear Baby. Sunspear Baby. It's like Palm Springs. <laughs> Send us to the water gardens. Let me see it. Give us some of that Dornish red. Love it. Maybe I'll take a little day trip to the Planky Town. <laughs> <laughs> Come back. Oh my God. And sip wine as I watch people frolic in the water garden. Wonderful. Love it. And based on an earlier question, we now know that we have the power to resurrect the dead, which Woo! means we're bringing Tyene back. Yeah, lo- oh, hey. And we're spending some time with Tyene. Putting them on the glass. <laughs> Here's what I, and I just want to, for a moment, mention some of the great castles of the realm. And why I don't want to live there. Uh, Storm's End, (laughs) rains too much. Raining all the fucking time. Hard pass. All the time, raining, 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 raining. Hard pass on the Seattle of Westeros. Get out of here with that. (laughs) I love Seattle. The Red Keep, listen, it's cool. Too many passageways where people are going to pop up and stab you. Also, if we may quote the greatest poet of our time. Right. What does it smell like It smells there? like uh, shit, cum? And, shit and cum and rum. Garlic? Garlic. <laughs> Cities make me want to fuck. 
So did the country. <laughs> yeah, so I'm out <laughs> on the stanky-ass King's Landing Red Keep. Dead bodies. Yeah, not great. The Irie, too high up. Scary. Scary to get to. You I don't want get in some the basket. brat in a bad mood because <laughs> he hasn't had his fill of fucking mama's milk get that day. Here. Throwing me through the moon door. Number one, small. Mm-hmm. Tiny, smallest castle. Mm-hmm. Cramped. Uh, Sansa had to listen to Liza's Whoa! sex moves. <laughs> too small. When winter comes, you have to leave. You have to, like, it's too hard to get to. You have to get in a basket to get up and into the, it. the mules before the, the basket. The fucking mule. Leave me out of it. I don't want any part like of that. It's like triple frontier. <laughs> no mules. I don't want any part of it. Uh, second, we both have High Garden. Of course. course. It's like the south of France. Uh, send me there tomorrow. Yes. It's fine with me that everyone is dead, by the way. Amber More waves for me. of grain as far as the eye could see, surrounded by like <laughs> grapes and a hedge maze. The bounty of the reach. Yes. Let me, let me say that one thing. We both have allergies and asthma. It'll be okay. A lot yeah. blooming yeah, in the reach, t- all those roses. T- we need a steady supply of Claritin. I agree. Uh, now, here is where we change. You have a different number three. What is your number three? River Run. Beautiful. Gorgeous. It is beautiful. It's gorgeous there. I love that it's surrounded on all sides but by water. Let me tell you, though, the reason that I didn't, I considered not putting it there, and I think this might be why you didn't. Yeah. Fucking dangerous. It's you're really in the, the you're thick of it all. You're and, fucking And drowning. also, everybody's war is always that's coming the, across you in the Riverlands. That's my main thing. It's just, you know, location, location, location. It means so much. <laughs> and it's like the Riverlands is basically the crossroads of the, of the continent. Everybody's yeah. fighting there. Every war that pops up, it's happening on your doorstep. That part's tough. I'm out. That part's tough. So, so beautiful. So number three for me. Casterly Rock. That was my number four. Impregnable. I'll impregnate the bitch. I know you're going to say it. And we saw Tyrion go up through his horseshoot. <laughs> to be clear, I think when Tyrion goes up his horseshoot, it usually means something else. Well, he had apparently, unbeknownst to everyone, a, a literal horseshoot built into the bottom of the castle. <laughs> Knowing that the horseshoot is there, I would have it sealed up. I just think an impregnable castle that has active gold mines. You know, there might they're be dry st- though. Yeah, there might they're be. Dry. St- let's go down and you let's check it more? out. You never know. There might be. Even let's if there isn't, out. a beautiful castle it's beautiful. up on a cliff. It's Love like Malibu. It. Absolutely, <laughs> it sounds great. Absolutely gorgeous. And then I would go with the arbor. Wonderful. Give me an island. Wonderful. Give me the time on an island with grapes. Wonderful. Beautiful. Dragonstone. Very, very, very tough. <laughs> also, like, let's clean the painted table off. After Stannis boned Melisandre on that. Can I get a Clorox wipe for this? Like, they're just holding meetings there after. Disgusting. It's like, what is this stain? That's Stannis' Uh, Give me that. The Lord of Light needs it. (laughs) Right. And then, uh, well, Isaac, with a shout out to Old Town. Old Town is, Ah. so we're talking about the High Tower now. Mm -hmm. The High Tower, a lot of walking up steps. I'm out. Yeah, I don't, I'm not like, meet me on the 70th floor of the fucking High Tower. No elevator. Yeah, also crowded, though- one thing in its favor. Yeah. Beautiful library. Incredible library. Beautiful library. You know, one of the oldest, obviously one of the oldest castles in the land. But I'm going to stick with mine. You're going to stick with yours. Especially, Wonderful you picks. know, we saw Sam. What's the trade-off for getting access to that library? You're just cleaning people's shit. Cleaning the shit. And shoring shit, off grayscale. Ugh. Pass. Shit, 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 shit. <laughs> All right. Next, this comes from Dan McLean. 
what is your number one wish fulfillment request for the final season? This is another question that's almost impossible because there are so many things we want, but no, we can't have. But so let's choose to interpret this like not core, core, core plot. Okay. Okay. Because like, I think we both want like John to be alive, for example, but like that feels too central. What's something that's like a little more on the margins Uh, that you really want? For me, it's Valencore theory. Yes. I need it to happen. Jamie, put your hands around her neck. I kind of need, Clegane Bowl, I like, but it's like, whatever. I feel like Jamie has to kill her. Yeah. He's got to do it. That's one thing that I will be disappointed in if it doesn't happen. I agree. Jamie fulfilling the Valancourt prophecy is, is, I need that one. It's got to be the pick. Yeah, yeah. I would put Clegane Bowl. I I like Clegane. Listen, I get get hype as as much as anyone else for the Clegane Bowl. Honestly, in part because we've all just been talking about it so long at this point, it's like, let's see this through. I know. And then, I need ghosts to live. I need ghosts to live. I know. I need it. Next. Flo Siegel, what house do you most identify with think that you would be in? So this is hard. Yeah. These questions are always hard to answer. I am going for the great houses with House Stark. Mm. Because love an animal. (laughs) Love a, a furry, fluffy companion right by my side. I think that I relate to and identify with all of those characters the most. And so it's principally about that. These are the people I'm most invested in. And so these are the people I relate to and envision myself with, even though I just said I'd never want to live in Winterfell. I think the idea of being— Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Oh, God. Simultaneously, in the thick of it— Right. But slightly removed. Yeah, that is is appealing to me. <laughs> that's kind of why I have my first my top. Pick okay, too. I, let's hear it. The Martells. Now, listen, Dorne got short shrift in the show. Oh yeah, short, oh, yeah. short, short shrift. Oh yeah. But the Martells have a lot to offer. Very influential with the realm, despite being very, very separate because of the particular history that Dorne plays within the realm was not conquered for over a century mm-hmm. after Aeon's invasion. Mm-hmm. Very hard place to conquer. They're very independent-minded. They get to style themselves as princes, even within the wider kingdom. And just like, you know, I like what they're about. I like the cut of their jib. It's a more open society. Mm -hmm. There's more gender parity. We can just party there. But also, very dangerous. Like, also don't fuck with us. Yes. Because we're conniving and we're— we can hurt you in ways that maybe you're not expecting. I love it. That kind of outstretch, just kind of raw strength. Slightly, and, and slightly also, terrifying to hear you say that last part, but. And also, and listen, the other thing is like the climate is fantastic. Oh, I thought you were going to say they're like fabled lovers. Well, that that's true. <laughs> that's all part of it, though. That's all part of the spicy stew of Dorn. Love it. That I love about the Martells. The other thing about House Stark yeah. that appeals to me is magic, but magic that isn't super showy. Right, right. Like the Targaryen magic. It's just like the unburnt. Yeah, it's like I'm on my dragon. Right. The subtlety of the connection to the old gods. So subtle that they're not even aware of it. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. I like it. What about a lesser house? Anything you want to throw out there? It's like I would do like the Blackwoods because like I just want to be like in a feud. I want to. I just want to be in a feud with another house for centuries for reasons that nobody's really sure like why it happened. I think that would be fun. I dig it. I'll go with House Mormont for reasons that are probably obvious to anyone who's ever listened to an episode of this podcast. But also, I like the chip on the shoulder edge. You know, you're kind of even in the north, not going to be one of the first three or four houses people list. But then when they 
come face to face with you and they have to reckon with what you're all about, they realize that they've erred gravely. I love it. By underestimating you. Let me just say one thing about the Blackwoods. They're in a long running feud with the Brackens. Mm-hmm. And of particular interest to this feud is a pair of grassy hills in a disputed <laughs> land called the Teats. These <laughs> families are <laughs> fighting over the tits for, for ages. For ages. Let I'm, the record state. I'm about it. I picked two houses associated with Valerian steel swords. So with fabled swords, and you picked two houses associated with lovemaking and teats. Very on brand. Right. <laughs> Next. I, John Bieber. Could you go Beeps. into more detail about why everyone, John plus Tyrion, and ending up at Targaryen is so unsatisfying? Love your takes on this. Would just like it a bit more fleshed out, flay that topic like Ramsey would. Okay. So one thing that I've started to think about is that we've both gone on the record so many times as being opposed to this outcome and to Bran as the Night King for similar reasons. And I want to say, we are still open-minded. And if the, yeah. if the show or books goes in either of those directions and that happens, maybe it will be great. And maybe it will be executed in a way that feels totally true to the thematic heart of the story and to each individual character arc. The reason that we have pause is that. The, the heart of who these characters are yeah. and the question of identity as a central mm-hmm. through line in this story. You know, what is one of the uniting principles for many of our main characters? It's that cripples, bastards, and broken things idea. We talk about it a lot. We also talk a lot about the idea of the family you choose. Who are you? Who does the world and the people around you try to make you think you are? What choices do you make? How do you let the idea of your own choices run up against the idea of destiny in a world where magic and prophecies are at play everywhere. Mm-hmm. And if everybody at the end of this, yeah. or not everybody, but many of the characters of supreme consequence are all Targaryens. I was going to say, they already did it with John, and it's hard to do it again. Then it's also like, what is all that other stuff about then? You know, those questions of identity come in part from John having to grapple with the fact that he's going to find out that he really is a Targaryen, And he's grown up being desperate for acceptance in the North and for belonging as a Stark. How is he going to reconcile that? Well, Tyrion always felt like an outsider with the Lannisters, but for different reasons. And for Tyrion, it's always felt like, you know, we talk about this with the moment when he kills his father, kills Tywin. It's more powerful, actually, if Tyrion really is Tywin's son and the fact that Tywin could never accept that and never really properly honor it and allow Tyrion to become somebody who was able to have confidence and self-acceptance and belief, it's more powerful if Tyrion can conquer that than if he just says, oh, that wasn't really my father after all. So it all comes down to the idea of your roots and the choices you make to either distance yourself from that or grow closer to them. And if everyone's just part of one family, it waters down the potency of those ideas. Yeah, I think I agree with everything you said. I think a lot of the power of this story comes from the contradictions, right? Right. As you said, agency and choice, finding your place in the world in this kind of reality where everything is very strictly codified. You were born into a family and where you fall within the hierarchy of that family really uh, determines what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And if perhaps you are born with some kind of physical ailment, 
you're just going to be cast aside and thought of as something else. But can you transcend those things? Can you transcend being a woman in this world? Can you transcend being a bastard in this world? And I think George already and the show already played the card with John actually being a Targaryen. Here's a person, he's a bastard. He's got to find his place in the world. He's trying to figure out a place for him where he can rise according to his talents. And then we find out that actually, no, he is the legitimate heir to the throne. Mm -hmm. I think you can do it once. I think if you do it again, you lose that punch. If now it's all of a sudden Danny, Tyrion, and Jon. So the counterpoint would be the dragon has three heads and that this has always been where this is heading and part of the text. There's obviously a lot of support of for the Tyrion theory. And also that even if those three characters are all Targaryens, we still have a vast, rich universe of other characters who are Starks. You know, I think part of it is just like really root for the Starks. And so the story shifting so heavily to being about mm-hmm. the Targaryens instead of being about the Starks. It's just personally like not what I want as much, but I'm sure that, If done well, I would love it. Now, that said, (laughs) in the books, I lean towards Tyrion beating a Targaryen. I just think there's too many clues that are so pointedly put there Mm -hmm. to make you think it. I do think in the show that there's just not enough runway to do it in an effective manner. It's the Song of Ice and Fire, man. We need balance. That's all I'm saying. All right, next. Dirk asks, if Sam were to give up Heartsbane to a stronger fighter to help the cause, who would you choose? Well. I agree with your pick, Chora, which is because it just like the poetry of him getting a Valerian sword back. And we should also note that. Well, so obviously the whole podcast has a spoiler warning, right? right. But we should issue a specific spoiler warning for this question. We truly, sincerely try to avoid spoilers. There are two things here that you kind of couldn't help but discover if you have A, watched the trailer and B, read the big Entertainment Weekly Mm -hmm. cover story. In the trailer, as many people spotted, though it's very hard to see because it's such a dark trailer, Jorah appears to actually have Heartsbane. Right. So, so we, that, we can say that Jorah most likely will have Heartsbane. Right. The question is obviously going to be, when does right. Sam give it to him first and then perhaps take it back? Jason, we'll talk about that in a second. Or does Jorah pick it up after Sam, Sam. falls? But yeah, right. the poetry of Jorah wielding a Valerian steel sword in battle after having to give his inheritance, Longclaw, back because of his shame and his exile. Pretty cool. So we should mention that the big EW cover story for Game of Thrones that came out a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. has this particular nugget in it that I think Mal and I both agree is way too much information. Don't want it. Did not want it. If you don't want it either, fast forward a few yeah, seconds. Was upset that it was actually in the magazine, but I'm going to read it to you now. Quote, amid the exhaustion, every detail still counts. During one scene, Bradley's Sam wields a sword at undead white attackers played by stuntmen. Parenthetical, the script playfully says of the whites, they're zombies, but not zombies. We have our own thing. Sam looks like a badass, I say, admiringly to Cogman. The producer turns to others. You hear what he just said? That's the problem. Sam isn't supposed to look like a badass. I suddenly wish I hadn't said anything, but Bradley quickly adjusts his performance. The next take, he looks more confused, awkward, and startled by each new attack. It clicks. Suddenly, you're not seeing badass Bradley, but Sam, well, Tarly. So now we just found out that Sam will wield Heartsbane in the Battle of Winterfell. Which sucks. I don't want to know that. <laughs> I did not want to know that. <laughs> I don't want to fucking know that. And because of the shot in the trailer where when Jorah is on his horse riding, it seems pretty clear the Heartsbane is on his side. Yeah. It's reasonable to say, does that mean that Sam gives Jorah Heartsbane, Jorah wields it in battle, Jorah falls in battle. Yeah. RIP to my dude if that happens. And then Sam picks it up and contributes to the fight. Maybe Jorah's just wounded. 
please. Um, who else that, I mean, you have the hound here. I agree with that. You want somebody who can actually fight with it. And then everybody, basically everybody who can fight has one at this point. Brienne got one. John got one. Arya has that dagger. Mm-hmm. That's good enough. Jamie has one. Can't really fight, but I'm glad that he has one because I want my dude to live. Um, and the hound, it'd be great if the hound, you know, the hound could do some damage with one. I would also love it if at some point Gilly wielded Heartsbane because of how cruel Randall Tarly mm. was to Gilly when Sam took her to Horn Hill. The idea of Gilly wielding Randall Tarly's ancestral family sword in battle to preserve life when Randall Tarly himself could not would just be so, so cool. We see from the trailer that Gilly is in the crypts with Varys and others. Maybe Sam has Heartsbane in his hand, goes down for a little visit, shit takes a turn. Gilly picks it up and does some damage. Yeah. That would be really dope. That would be really cool. Next. Finally, this is our last question. Dun, dun, dun. Ryan J. Smith. Who is better in bed? Vic the Dick or Podrick Payne? I'll hang up and listen. It's a short answer, Ryan. It's a thick answer, Ryan. <laughs> it's a long answer, Ryan. Short but long. It's a... Uh... This is no contest. It's not even fucking close. It's fucking Podrick. Pod is such a preternaturally gifted lover. Swordsman. That when he first dabbled in the arts. Dabbled and dribbled and everything. (laughs) With women so fabled that one of them knew how to tie the Marinese knot. Yeah. They did not accept his coin. They were like, keep it. Keep it. No, 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 no. Sir? No. Sir? The pleasure was literally ours. Put that away. That does not happen. That does not happen. It was our pleasure. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, listen, Vic the Dick, LeBron of his world, was not slaying it in that manner. No. 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 Like, not even close. I mean, listen, let's be clear about something. Yeah. We love Vic the Dick here at Binge Mode. Love him. Obviously. Vic the Dick at Bill and Floor's wedding couldn't, like, land a date. Couldn't get it. What is the point? What is the point? <laughs> so I don't think these two are on the same playing field. Podrick out here just. <laughs> Who do you want to see Pod end up with? Oh, wow. Tough. Sansa? No, it's not a, not a, like, I love Podrick. Real step down for Sansa. <laughs> <laughs> just in terms of the family name? Yeah, I, again, just. The name Payne was strong enough to spare him. At one point in time. could have had him hanged for the ham. That's fine. Minor house. Sansa is is meant for better dudes. Not to besmirch Podrick again, who can slang that thing. You know, who should... Man, I'd like to see him with just some wildling woman. Who can, who can, oh, yeah, just to that's great. I I don't know who, obviously, we don't know who she is yet, but some egret kind of cousin, a cousin of egret, kissed by fire, just wild, wild, wilding woman ready to fuck in the cave who would really appreciate what is going on here. (laughs) Pod's on another level. Who's even close? Literally, no one, not a lot of giving fulfilling male lovers to be honest in Game of Thrones except for like John and I mean we know that John is a natural John is a natural the very first thing he did is go down on his woman I just knew I wanted to kiss you there who then asks in the cool down scene 
that thing. When would no? But yes, ask what the thing was. You but, did with your tongue. But then said, <laughs> "When is the last time you had a bath?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isaac I, is Isaac is nominating Dario. Yeah, Dario. That's can, a good one, Dario. But again, Dario, like you got to get the blood test after this. <laughs> you got to go and Doc, give me the shot. <gasps> I just fucked Dario. I got a rash. <laughs> I've got like oh Yunkai fever. Some of the most potent sexual energy we've ever seen on the show was Yara and Alaria. Oh, that together. was. That was. If you could bottle that. That literally led to one of the most in- devastating military <laughs> defeats in Westerosi naval history. Your entire fleet <laughs> is smashed because you're Because you were smashing. <laughs> They could not keep their hands off of each other to the point that the fleet was destroyed. <laughs> Salador San, the sex pirate, another Isaac nominee here. Big talk, but what's happening? That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. What about Melisandre? Oh, yeah, she can do it. <laughs> she can work it. I mean, she's been doing it for 900 years. <laughs> never, <laughs> never fouls the flavor. No. <laughs> All right, on that Uh, note, friends, we know death. Yeah. He's got many faces. True. We look forward to seeing this one. Just as we look forward to seeing Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher, and Evan Campbell, who helped us out with this episode, and just so you all know, is in the middle of season three on his first watch and had to sit here through all of this. Brutal. And about, I don't know, every four and a half minutes we stop to say, Evan, plug your ears. So Evan, truly, thank you. Thank you for your contribution. We hope that you all had as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are to resume this journey and that you'll join us again next week for more Season 8 Preview Talk. Until then, remember, everything you did brought you where you are now, where you belong, home with Binge Mode. Ladies, that was uh, wonderful. Here we go. So that's four, five, six golden. No, nope, 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 no. Put that away. I can't even walk out of here right now. Just keep that. I'll tell you what you can do. Bring that water over here because we're dried out. Other than that, thank you, sir. Please come back anytime. And You put that purse away. Maybe tip the lady on the way out. That's it. Oof.